On the other side of the pond, it's election year. And in the last fortnight, they've had their convention season. Or rather, virtual convention season. This week, the Republicans. But America needs four more years of President Donald Trump in the White House. And last week, it was the Democrats. Our children and our grandchildren, they're going to ask us, where were you when the stakes were so high? So it's Trump v. Biden for the soul of America. But what about their running mates, the other halves of both tickets, the wannabe future vice presidents? Who are Mike Pence and Kamala Harris? You're listening to Stories of Our Times. I'm David Aronovich. Today, scoping the veeps. It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze, relax, and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow. Wherever you are, tap the banner to go to Monday.com. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Hi, 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 hi. Sorry to keep you. That's all right. You ready to go to work? Oh, my God. I'm so ready to go to work. On August the 11th, Joe Biden named Kamala Harris as his VP pick. Via video call with his wife Jill Biden at his end and Kamala's husband Doug at hers. We're going to get this done. That's great. How about Doug? Is Doug here? Yes, let me get him. Hey, Doug. The vice president and Jill's on the phone. But who is Kamala Harris, really? And what does she represent? First of all, is the answer yes? The answer is absolutely (laughs) yes, Joe, and I am ready to work. And for that matter, who's Mike Pence, her vice presidential opponent who's been in post for four years, but about whom I know almost nothing, except that he won't go for a drink with a woman who's not his wife. I'm going to work my heart out to be your vice president for four more years. I accept your nomination for vice president of the United States of America. We're going to re-elect President Donald Trump. Joe Biden shares a vision of our nation as a beloved community. We're going to make America great again. Again. God bless you. God bless the Republican Party. And God bless the United States of America. Henry Zeffman. Hi, David. He's Washington correspondent for The Times. Which at the moment means the main thing I do is cover the 2020 presidential election. Let's start with the challenger. Before we do anything else... How do you pronounce her first name? This is a matter of real significance. It's not Kamala. It's not Kamala. The stress is on the first syllable. Kamala. That's right. It's Kamala. Kamala Harris. Some Democrats think that Conservatives, particularly a talk show host on Fox, Tucker Carlson, have sort of performatively been 
pronouncing her name wrong. Just tell Kamala Harris what to say and she will say it. That is the whole point of Kamala Harris. Tucker, can I just say one quick thing? Her name is pronounced comma like the punctuation mark la, Kamala. So Bare I'm minimum. disrespecting her by mispronouncing her name unintentionally. So it begins. You're not allowed to criticize Kamala Harris or whatever no, because no, no, of Kamala, Kamala Harris. In our quest for the candidates, let's start at the very beginning. As Julie Andrews correctly sang, a very good place to start. How were these candidates shaped? Because if we've learned nothing else in recent times, it is that character matters. So first, let me take you back to the fall of 1964 in California, where Kamala Harris was born to two immigrant parents. Her mother was Shyama Lagopalan. She was a uh, Hindu from Chennai. She came here from India at age 19 to pursue her dream of curing cancer. Her father was another PhD student, this time in economics at the same university. She met my father, Donald Harris, who had come from Jamaica to study economics. They fell in love in that most American way while marching together for justice in the civil rights movement of the 1960s. In so the Kamala Harris represents the fusion of two different immigrant stories in America. She is a history maker. We should be clear about that. Her parents had divorced when she was seven. Her mother became a leading breast cancer researcher and they moved to Montreal. She comes back from Montreal to go to college and she goes to Howard University, which is in Washington, D.C., and it's one of America's historically black universities. Historically, black colleges and universities, or HBCUs, were institutions established before the Civil Rights Act of 1964 to predominantly serve the African-American community who were often excluded or discriminated against in mainstream colleges. Howard is an elite HBCU. Harris studied politics and economics there. It does strike me suddenly just how significant that is in the evolution of your attitude towards the world and the world's attitude towards you and how you see it. Definitely. And, and Harris, of course, coming from a mixed-race background, she was raised mostly by her mother. She said her mother knew well that she was raising two black daughters. Harris has a younger sister. She raised us to be proud, strong black women. And she raised us to know and be proud of our Indian heritage. I think what she's speaking to there is the reality, particularly in a racially divided country, a country uh, you know, whose history is one of racial strife. She, she's reflecting the reality that, that your racial identity is often set exogenously, whatever you might want it to be. Harris even gave a Howard University commencement speech, a speech given to graduating students, in 2017. And let me be clear. Speaking the truth is different from telling the truth. Telling the truth means separating fact from fiction. The earth is round. The sky is blue. Howard University is the real HU. And certainly I've read accounts by friends of hers at Howard who say they didn't really know that she had an Indian background until some years later. She was certainly, by the time she was at Howard and afterwards, she identified as, as black. That seemed a bigger part of her identity and I think her political identity. Howard must have played a role in, in, in shaping how she saw herself in America's complex racial dynamics. As you leave this place, I promise you, you will often find that you are the only one in the room who looks like you. 
whether you are in Washington or Wichita, you must remember this. You are never alone. We are all in that room with you every single time, every single day. Kamala Harris is only the third ever woman to be nominated for vice president by one of the two main parties. The first was Geraldine Ferraro in 1984, and I'm old enough to remember her, and then Sarah Palin, I don't think I'll ever forget her, in 2008. Both were on the losing ticket. Only one woman has been nominated for president, Hillary Clinton. So there has never been a woman who's occupied the roles of president or vice president, but also she is the first non-white woman, both the first black woman and the first Indian-American woman. I think it is significant, and I think it's pretty clear that though it's far from the only reason that Joe Biden selected her, it played a big part in his calculations, particularly in the wake of the killing of George Floyd in Minnesota in May and the protests which followed it. There was a pretty intense pressure on Joe Biden to select a black woman as his running mate, having already promised that he would choose a woman. Now, in one way, you might think that's a bit funny because after Donald Trump was elected, a lot of people said, well, it just goes to show that a woman is actually a bit of a liability. I'm not saying this, by the way, let's be very clear, but I heard people say it is a liability on a ticket. And then the other thing they said was, well, Barack Obama put white America's noses out of joint. And now what you've got as vice president is a black woman. So why would they regard that as good this year when some pundits might have regarded it as a liability before? I don't think the argument for Joe Biden to pick a black woman was presented solely in electoral terms. It was also almost a sort of a reward, a thank you. The reality of Joe Biden's primary campaign, and this is kind of lost in the mists of coronavirus because it feels like it was four decades ago, but Joe Biden's presidential campaign transformed quicker than any other in living memory. He was down and out after the first two states, first Iowa, where he finished fourth, and then New Hampshire, where he finished fifth. I mean, I was at his supposed victory party in New Hampshire that night, obviously turned out to be a fifth-place party, and it was one of the most depressing rooms I've ever been in. Let's talk about Biden, and he has pulled out of New Hampshire now. He's gone. He's gone. He's already gone. I mean, there were campaign volunteers weeping at the bar, Uh, and Biden himself skipped the event. He flew straight from New Hampshire before the results were known and went to South Carolina. He didn't even wait till the, till the polls closed to go to what many are saying is Biden's last stand, right. South Carolina. Right. Last chance saloon for Biden in South Carolina. I think it was a smart move to leave. And that's very important because South Carolina, as a majority minority Democratic primary electorate, and he said, look, I don't care what Iron New Hampshire, these overwhelmingly white states say. I know that black Americans, black Democrats trust me and they will support me. And he was right. South Carolina, almost half, and there were several candidates still in the primary at this point, yet almost half of South Carolina primary voters backed Joe Biden. It was an astonishing margin of victory. And within about a week, he was the presumptive nominee. I mean, it was extraordinary. And so it was the faith of black voters, particularly black women, in fact, which delivered Joe Biden to this point, which turned his third attempt at winning the Democratic presidential nomination into a success. And I think there was a sense that that he owed it to the, the black Democrats who had elevated him to in turn elevate a black leader within the Democratic Party. Now let's sing a song of Mike Pence. His eyes first opened on the summer of 1959. 
Mike Pence was born five years before Kamala Harris and quite a way to the east of her in the Midwestern state of Indiana. He grew up in a relatively small city called Columbus. He was from a sort of lower middle class family background. His mother was from a family of relatively recent Irish immigrants and they were Catholics. Pence's father ran a a chain of petrol stations. His mother was a housewife, but actually years later went back to university, got a degree and ended up as quite a popular local newspaper columnist. Uh, And the family were Democrats, by the way. Even after he went to university, Mike Pence voted for Jimmy Carter in 1980 against Ronald Reagan. Ronald Reagan, of course, the sort of first breath of the conservative revolution, which would ultimately sweep up Pence himself. Pence then goes to a a liberal arts school in southeast Indiana called Hanover College. On an early visit home, he says to his father, yeah, I think I might be a lawyer, but I also think I might be a priest. And then the next time he comes home, he's become an evangelical Christian. He went to a fraternity party, and in his telling at least, he admired another member of the frat's gold cross. And the guy said to him, you have to wear it in your heart before you wear it around your neck. And soon afterwards, Pence went to a Christian music festival in Kentucky and says he gave my life to Jesus. And that seems to have been a big part of Pence's political evolution from the sort of middle-class Catholic Jimmy Carter voter to part of of what became known as, as the sort of moral majority. Indiana University, which is where he goes to law school, is very important in his development because it's there that he meets his wife, Karen, then Batten, now Pence. He noticed her while she was playing guitar in a local church service and fell head over heels very quickly. He proposed to her within eight months. She'd expected that. Soon after they began dating, she says she started carrying a gold cross inscribed with the word yes that she would hand to him when he did, as she predicted, propose. They're very close still. Notoriously, he has been known to refer to her in front of some guests as mother, although his office has has occasionally disputed that. He also observes what's known as the Billy Graham rule after a sort of famous 20th century televangelist, which is two parts. One is that he will never dine alone with a woman other than his wife, and the other that he will never go to an event which men and women are present at if alcohol is served unless Karen's there with him. So, you know, clearly has uh, a distinctive small-c conservative morality. Oh, or else he knows that he's very susceptible to temptation. Uh, That's one reading of it. We need to take a time jump or this podcast will go on all day. So let's find Kamala Harris finishing college and returning to her home state of California, ready to make a decision about her future career path. She confounds her friends and her family by taking a job as a prosecutor. That's very unusual, especially for left-wing liberal, non-white lawyers. They tend to become defendants. And she rises pretty quickly as a prosecutor. In 2004, she wins a position as the district attorney of San Francisco. That's basically the main prosecutor in San Francisco. It's actually a non-political office, but I think, you know, no one's under any illusions about it being a staging post, ultimately, to a career in democratic politics. And she holds that role for seven years, from 2004 to 2011. But it's also the early phase of, of a record which would come back to cause her a bit of trouble now that she's in national politics. The reality is that even more so than then, prosecutors are viewed with suspicion 
in influential parts of the left, and in particular viewed with suspicion after the last few years of Black Lives Matter protests and so on, which have provoked a sort of reassessment of the tough-on-crime approach which was in vogue maybe 20 years ago, a bit longer than that. And so Harris's record in that period has been pretty controversial. And then she goes on to become California's chief prosecutor, in effect. She wins election, this time as a Democrat, to be Attorney General of California in 2011. And that's when she starts to attract national attention as as a figure who's clearly headed for even greater things. Mike Pence's first forays into politics, by comparison, went a little less smoothly. In the late 80s, he decided he was going to run against a Democratic incumbent in a congressional race in Indiana. He loses. He tries again two years later. And he runs a pretty nasty campaign. And he loses again. And he leaves politics. He becomes a lawyer uh, in Indianapolis, main city of Indiana. Not by all accounts a particularly successful one. He does sort of small claims. But alongside that law job... Uh, he does something which would ultimately prefigure his political success. In 1992, he gets a job as a host on conservative talk radio and pretty quickly builds up a loyal following. He pitched himself as someone who could have a well-meaning, polite debate with his ideological opponents. Carl, with your take on it, is adultery no longer a big deal in Indiana and in America. And just love to know your thoughts, because I, I, for one, believe that the Seventh Commandment, contained in the Ten Commandments, is still a big deal. I'm a conservative, but I'm not mad about it, was, was what he used to say. He once called himself Rush Limbaugh on decaf. Rush Limbaugh being this incredibly famous right-wing talk show host. Right, very much on intense calf. So Pence made a name for himself as... You know, very much at the at the apex of the rise of conservative talk radio. And, and holding people accountable to respecting the promises that other people make. I, I, to me, what, what could possibly be a bigger deal than that in this country? In 2000, in- he finally runs for office again for a House of Representatives seat from Indiana, this time a fairly safe Republican seat. And he wins comfortably. Hi, I'm Congressman Mike Pence. Come on in my office, I'll show you around. He steadily builds his reputation as a pretty unflinching conservative. Whenever anybody comes into our office, we offer them a bag of Indiana popcorn, fresh popped, and something cold to drink, um, and uh, try and make them comfortable and be their home away from home. In his first successful congressional campaign, he he, he runs basically on a pledge to make sure that gay people are not entitled to anti-discrimination laws. And then as Barack Obama rises, Pence becomes a leading voice of the reaction to that, the Tea Party. In 2012, he considers running for president, but he decides he's too low-key. So he goes and runs to become governor of Indiana, basically ticking the executive experience box on the CV. But his tenure as governor of Indiana nearly destroys his political career. In 2015, he signs into law a bill which had actually come out of the, the... Indiana legislature, which is called the Religious Freedom Restoration Act. But ultimately, uh, its critics say, becomes a license for the state to discriminate against LGBT people. The hashtag Boycott Indiana starts trending on Twitter, and the sort of establishment wing of the Republican Party take fright. Pence becomes incredibly unpopular in the state. All hopes of running for president in 2016, which he had briefly explored, extinguished, 
And people think he's basically going to lose re-election as governor in Indiana in 2016. And then along comes Donald Trump. What a difference between crooked Hillary Clinton and Mike Pence. Trump's campaign realised that he needs someone to appeal to evangelicals, and they eventually alight on Mike Pence. I would like to introduce a man who I truly believe will be the next vice president of the United States, Governor Mike Pence. Thank you, Thank you. Even if he did have some sort of uh, moral objection to elements of Trumpism, and we should return to that because there's evidence that he later did, Mike Pence can't say no to Donald Trump. He's about to lose re-election as governor of a state which barely registers on the national consciousness. And Donald Trump says, I'd like you to be my running mate in the presidential election. And for Mike Pence, this is really an offer to political salvation, and he grabs it. And I accept your invitation to run and serve as vice president of the United States of America. What kind of vice president has he been? Well, what he's not managed to do is moderate the president. I think that's fair to say. We don't know the extent to which he's tried, but he seems to have have pursued a strategy definitely of, of hugging the president close. Thank you for your leadership. I have seen it day in and day out since you asked me to lead the White House Coronavirus Task Force. Joel Goldstein, who's the sort of main academic expert in vice presidents in America, uh, calls Pence the sycophant-in-chief. So the Pence wagon was well hitched to Donald Trump's political career. But early on, there was a wobble. Quite a big wobble. It was the video that almost derailed Donald Trump's presidential run. You just start kissing them. It's like a magnet. You just kiss I don't even wait. And when you're a star, they let you do it. You can do anything. Whatever you want. Grab them by the pussy. <laughs> that is the moment where Pence seems to have had a sort of dark night of the soul. He refused to take Trump's calls. His wife, Karen, was said to be deeply upset. Pence reportedly wrote Trump a letter saying that they needed to decide whether they could stay on the ticket. And there's an anecdote we should definitely take note of, which is in a brilliant book by Michael Lewis. Apparently, as it became clear on election night that Trump had won, Pence turned to kiss his wife, Karen, and she said to him, you got what you wanted, Mike, now leave me alone. This is Paige, the co-host of Giggly Squad, and I want to tell you about a company that I've been loving, Olive and June. Olive and June gives you everything that you need for a salon-quality manicure in one box. And if you break it down, it really comes out to $2 a manicure, which is absolutely insane. It's also so easy to get salon-worthy nails at home with Olive and June. The difference between how your nails used to look when you did them yourself and now with the Manny system is a complete game changer. The best thing about Olive and June, too, is it's a quick dry. Dries in about one minute, lasts for five days, and full coverage in up to one to two coats. Visit oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. That's oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. 
That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Ladies and gentlemen, please welcome the Vice President-Elect of the United States, Governor Mike Pence. The very same night that Donald Trump and Mike Pence were elevated by the Electoral College to the White House, California sent Kamala Harris to the United States Senate. It's time to roll up our sleeves and fight for who we are. And that's what we are about to do. And I could not be more proud to represent my beautiful state. (laughs) She's sworn in by Joe Biden, because that's one of his ceremonial roles as vice president, as president of the Senate. It is very clear from the moment she arrives in the Senate in January 2017, she's running for president. She announces her presidential campaign in early 2019 and is thought to be an early frontrunner. I mean, here is this incredibly articulate, charismatic, former prosecutor from America's most populous state. And, you know, she has a lot of early support. But eventually, surely, especially with scrutiny over her record as a prosecutor, her campaign flames out. There's leaks about tensions in the campaign. And she drops out in December 2019, two months before a primary vote is even cast, I think deciding that the indignity of coming as far back as she would have done in Iron, New Hampshire, is lesser than the indignity of never even making it that far. She got picked by Joe Biden. What, as far as we know, does Biden want from a vice president, apart from obviously to help him win the election? Well, I don't know if it is about helping him win the election. I mean, it's, you know, there's a popular view that Vice presidents can balance the ticket in some way. So, look, she balances the ticket for Biden because she's younger and she's from the West and she's non-white and so on and so on and so on. But there's not actually much academic evidence that, that people really cast their vote on the basis of who the running mate is. Biden talks much more in terms of who he wants as a governing partner because he thinks that, and I think there's some evidence for this, that he was, you know an indispensable part of Barack Obama's eight years in office. He talks about wanting someone who's simpatico with him, which is what he believes he was with Obama. But also, most importantly, he asked Harris, as he had, in fact, asked of Obama when he was chosen, he said to Harris, I want you to be the last person in the room before I make any major decision. You know, the last voice I hear, the last advice I take. And so he wants a powerful vice president. He wants an influential confidant. But look, we can't ignore the fact that Joe Biden, currently 77, he would on inauguration day be 78, and he would become instantly the oldest ever president as soon as he swears the oath of office, older on taking office than Ronald Reagan was on leaving office. And so few people really think that Joe Biden would run for a second term, which would begin 
months after his 82nd birthday. He knew that he was making a pick which would, if he's successful, put his finger on the scale in the coming battle to lead the Democratic Party. So it's hugely significant. He's also gone some way to identifying Kamala Harris as, as a future leader of the Democratic Party. Those are two very different pictures of what a vice president might be, because I don't get any sense, but maybe you'll correct me, that Donald Trump is thinking, well, maybe Mike Pence will be a great successor to me. Trump and Pence are incredibly different. But Trump gets that Pence speaks to parts of the Republican coalition, which he doesn't. But look, you can't know four years in advance whether there are people who would get excited about a Pence presidency, particularly because it will look very different if Trump wins to whether Trump loses. There's something very different about running four years later as the former vice president of a defeated ticket to running straight off the bat as the sitting vice president. Pence has certainly draped himself... Uh, in the flag of Trumpism. And we should be no under no illusions about his ambition. You know, he, he's, he's wanted to be president. I mean, pe- friends at high school recall him saying that he wanted to be president. So there's no doubt that he sees his role in the White House as a ticket to the presidency, just as Kamala Harris would see her role in a Biden White House as a ticket to the presidency. In a few weeks' time, in early October, these two utterly contrasting characters will face each other in the 2020 vice presidential debate. There's only one. Just one debate compared to the three presidential debates. Lots of people are very excited for it. Of course, Kamala Harris, as a former prosecutor, she's definitely going to be very good. But actually, Pence was pretty effective in 2016 against Tim Kaine, Hillary Clinton's running mate. He's not necessarily a sort of huge intellect, but he's a very effective and polished performer. Which suggests that they also, if you like, represent two divergent views uh, of America itself. That's exactly right. In a strange way, the two of them encapsulate so many of America's divisions. You know, you've got white minority, the kind of divisions which Harris's parents met on campus while they were protesting. You've also got coastal flyover, Indiana versus California, that is. Uh, you've got urban-rural. The two of them encapsulate, I think, more efficiently, in fact, than, than Trump and Biden do, particularly because Trump is this glitzy real estate developer from New York who has somehow become the voice of the, the sort of Rust Belt left behind. They do, between the two of them, speak to so many of the divisions in America which, which remain enduring. Harris, I think, represents the centre of the Democratic Party. But the centre of the Democratic Party is definitely edging to the left. Mike Pence unlike Donald Trump, is a Republican who, who, who knows why he's a conservative. You know, it's not an electoral ploy. He was a conservative before he was a politician. And there is no doubt that a Pence presidency would, would take America in a pretty culturally conservative direction. These are two, not just two divergent visions of America, but two pretty radically divergent visions of America. You've been listening to Stories of Our Times with me, David Aronovich, and my guest, Washington correspondent for The Times, Henry Zeffman. You can read more of Henry's work at thetimes.co.uk or in print. The producers were Leona Hamid and Brenna Daldorf. Executive producer is Poppy Damon. Sound design was by Carla Patella. Music by Breakmaster Cylinder and Ketzer. 
and you can find us on Apple Podcasts, Spotify or Acast. And now we're available on the Times Radio app along with all the other podcasts from the Times. To download the app, search for Times Radio on your app store. See you again soon. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com trip for free shipping and 365-day returns. When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. And if you have a lot of mailing to do, Stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. It streamlines your processes to make your business more efficient, which makes you less busy. Mail checks, invoices, legal documents, and everything you need to keep your business running with Stamps.com. Seamlessly connect with every major marketplace and shopping cart. Schedule package pickups and see your cheapest and fastest shipping options from different carriers. With rates up to 89% off USPS and UPS rates. And with the Stamps.com mobile app, you can take care of mailing and shipping wherever you are. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Sign up with code PROGRAM for a 4-week trial, plus free postage and a free digital scale. No long-term commitments or contracts. That's Stamps.com. Code PROGRAM.